what's on your thoughts right now? You know, uh, there are often, it's often when I do in a small group and we're just getting to know some people, uh, we ask, what's your, well, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? If you could have one superpower, what would that be? And inevitably, somebody would say, the ability to read minds. I don't think I want that ability. For one, I think I'd be really bored. And I'd be saying, really, you're thinking about that? The conversation that Gabby and I have in the, as we're driving down, uh, she thinks about grand things all the time. You know, she solves the, word problem, the world's problems. Her mind is always going and fixing, and she'll say, what are you thinking about? I was thinking, wow, that's a new billboard. You know, you know that, I think that they've done some work on this exit. That's what I'm thinking about, and she, she didn't understand that. But I know you're each thinking about something right now. You're thinking about, now, he's, we're, it's 12 after 10. How long is he going to take the whole 48 minutes? Some of you are thinking that. Uh, some of you are thinking, now, what am, I, we don't have grow groups today. Uh, where are we going to, we could be able to beat the other churches to Chili's today. You know, we'll be able to do that. Some of you are thinking about that email you got yesterday. Or you're thinking about what that person said to you. Or you're thinking about how am I going to make it tomorrow? Our minds are filled with all kinds of things. All kinds of things. If I could just have a speech bubble over each one of your heads, to just to understand what is going on in your minds right now. You know, I think I'd be able to just to pinpoint a sermon that would just speak to you, but I'm going to leave that up to the Holy Spirit today. How about that? Noah is five, and one of his favorite things right now are cars. Both cars, the movie cars, and cars without eyes. Uh, he asked for his birthday party last month, and he said, I want a cars, cars without eyes party. I'm like, what are you talking about? So he brought me a Hot Wheel. You know, they don't have eyes in the windshield. So he loves his cars, and he loves his cars without eyes. And his favorite two movies right now are Cars 1 and Cars 2. And he has a shirt. He told me it didn't have Cars 1 or 2. It was just Cars. It just had Lightning McQueen on it. But as, if you've seen, have any of you seen that movie, Cars it's a good movie. If you haven't, do it. It's good. Cars 2, it's, it's good too. It's just really good movies. Uh, but Cars 1 opens up with Lightning McQueen. We just hear a voice. And he's saying this phrase. Not this phrase. This phrase. Speed. I am speed. And then you hear, vroom, vroom, as the cars are racing by. And he's imagining himself on the racetrack. He's imagining himself, this car has a mind and eyes. And he's imagining himself racing the race that he's about to go on. He's in his trailer, and he just is, is hearing the cars whiz by him. And he's seeing himself weave in and out of these cars, heading to the, the checkered flag first. And he keeps saying this phrase, speed, I am speed. Now, we think that's a bunch of hooey, right? Just because you say it doesn't make it so, right? Your mama told you that. Just because we say it doesn't make it a reality. Or does it? 
you'd be surprised how much what we think determines what we do. In an article published in Psychology Today in January, uh, Dr. Susan Heilter wrote this, and I want to quote her here. She says, thinking verbally or in images is what psychologists call behavioral rehearsal. Thinking solidifies preparation for doing. Thinking solidifies preparation for doing. When you think about something in advance for, of doing it, it adds the odds zoom upward that you'll implement what you picture. That reality suggests that it's worth being careful what you think about. Huh. That's from Psychology Today. That reality suggests it's worth being careful what you think about. She goes on to talk about uh, buying a car. If you're thinking about buying a car, you know what you need to think about? You need to think about how practical it needs to be, uh, how uh, much you're going to spend. Think about the parameters of the purchase. Do not imagine yourself in the convertible, in the Jeep, in the car that's going to be out of your price range, do not imagine yourself whizzing up the, the apple, through the Appalachians. Don't do that because that will ensure that when you see that convertible, when you see that Jeep, when you see that thing that is outside of your price zone, you've already thought about it, you've seen it, you're going to buy it. But if you thought about the parameters and say, this is what I'm going to do, this is, what, this is it, you're more likely to make the choice that's within your means. And then she says this. I thought this was fascinating. She says, thinking about how bad, are you thinking about how bad your marriage is? About how much you dislike this and the, that annoying thing your spouse has been doing? Each image of what bothers you that you bring up will reinforce the idea of how bad your spouse is acting. That's a sure route to getting increasingly unhappy in the relationship. Athletes have learned that for a long time. You want to fail? Think about failing. If we can just get in their heads. Just get in their heads. What are you thinking about today? And how much of what you think about determines your actions? How much of your thought life turns into reality life? Paul helps us out here. Remember, he's writing from jail, right? He's writing from prison in this dark dungeon with a, a sewer drain, a trench dug right for everybody in that jail. He was let down through a manhole cover. He is awaiting probably his sentencing of death. And yet 14 times in these four chapters, he talks about joy and how to be joyful and that we need to be joyful, and how joyful he is, and that if they would just complete the, the work that God's done in them, that they would, he would be full of joy. And you wonder, how in the world can he talk about joy so much? And we understand. First of all, he has practiced what he said in verse 6 of this, to not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard his heart and their hearts in Christ Jesus. And then he says this. 
And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is it. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your, eye, your thoughts on this. What's he saying there? Just the same thing he said in verse 6, basically. Don't dwell on the anxious thoughts, the anxieties in your life. Any Eeyores out there? I know some of you. I know, I know you are. Paul's telling the Philippians, and he's telling us, don't worry about that. Don't dwell on those things. Instead, pray about them, and then fix your thoughts, dwell on, think about continually these things. What's that first one? Think about what is true. Now, what is true? Well, for me, it helps to to realize, to think about what is true means that I can't think about lies. What are the lies that we, are, that we hear all the time? We, 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 we're inundated with lies. There's a, several, a brand new advertising book that talks about how to reach people and how to convince people that they need something that they don't need. You realize the majority of commercials we see on TV are lies in some sort? Even if the product is true, even if it says exactly what it says it does, it does exactly what they're saying it does, the lie is that we need it. Steve Jobs was a, was a whiz at that, of making us convinced that we needed something. And now we all do, don't we? We all have a phone Many of us have smartphones and many of us have tablets because we need them now, right? He convinced us of that, that we needed it. But what are some of the lies really that, that we hear? You realize that many of us do exchange the truth of God for a lie every day. Paul says that's what was happening in Rome. That's what happened to the ancient Israelites and that's happening to us. But it's not as simple and easy as just that. It's not as black and white as that because we have the devil who has always hated the truth and because there's no truth in him, when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is the father of all lies. So he's constantly feeding us lies. You're not good enough. You never have been good enough. You never will be good enough. What you do is just not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not worth the trouble. What they said about you was right. I love this one. Do you know what they're thinking about you right now? If we stop for a moment, we realize that we don't have superhuman powers. We do not have telepathy. We cannot get in somebody else's mind. But many of us spend so, many, so much time thinking about the lie that somebody else is thinking about us. I can tell you, one, that we should relax 
none of us are that important. We're consumed about what everybody else is thinking about us while everybody else is thinking about what they're thinking about them. Stop worrying about that. The lies about others that Satan tells us. You know, it's just the little ones, the ones that, well, they think they're just good, they're just too good. Well, they really don't care about me. Well, nobody would notice if I was gone. You ever heard lies about the church? Oh, you don't need to go. It's really not that important. Or you know, there's just some things that you really shouldn't like about that. We'll begin to dwell and we'll begin to think about those. We can get caught up in lies that Satan tries to tell us because he's the father of lies. And I think we spend an inordinate amount of, of our thought life dwelling on those lies. And Paul says, stop it. Dwell on the truth. And when the truth begins with the fact that God created you, he sent his son to die for you. That's how important you are to him. He knows every hair on your head. He has a plan and a purpose for each one of you. And he wants you to use you in an amazing way. That's the truth. Stop exchanging the truth of God and his salvation in your life for the lies that Satan wants to, to feed you. We could just stop there and I think we'd go home, but Paul says, no, that's not it. Not only fix your eyes on what is true, but also fix your eyes on what is honorable. When you think about that word, that word literally means dignified. Uh, you know, when you think about somebody coming in in the, 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 the tuxedo, the three-piece suit, the, the evening gown, they waltz in. Everything is in its place. I, I think of uh, Gabby's grandmother's house, her dad's mom in Ecuador. Everything is doilies and ceramic things. And everything has its place. It's very dignified and proper and honorable. He's not really, he's, he's talking about that, but he's saying things that are done right. Things that have value. Things that are honorable. It may help us to think about this. It's honorable versus things that are crude. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I'm guilty of it. I get sucked into reality TV too. Because I feel better about myself. <clears throat> and you know, that's one of the, the, the things. You know, it's, Satan, you tell me that I'm not good enough. I just watch reality TV for five minutes. I'm like, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm better than that. <clears throat> but one thing that reality TV does is it, it takes us down to a base level. So many of them. To a level of crudeness, where it's all about sexuality, it's all about getting the most out of that moment, out of everybody else, it's using everybody, it's all about winning. Uh, I think about many of the popular movies that, that we watch. Many of them are just crude. There's nothing honorable about them. There's nothing valuable about them at all but yet we flock to them, and we think about that. Uh, there's a new book series uh, from an author uh, titled Fifty Shades of Grey. I haven't read it, but I know many of you have, uh, or many of you know people who have. Uh, 
and the base of much of the novel is crude. It's crude, but yet many ladies in our, in our society, many moms, have found a haven in that and begin to think about those things and the, the patterns become to be cemented in their minds. Guys, do we ever think about what's things that are crude? Paul says, don't get sucked into that. Instead, think about what is honorable. He uses this word uh, honorable or to describe some folks uh, in the church. He tells the, the deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, to be honorable, and likewise, they must be men of dignity or honor. They're not to be double-tongued or addicted to too much wine or fond of sordid gain. They're not crude. And the ladies, they're supposed to be full of dignity too and honor. And they're not supposed to be malicious gossips. That's reality TV there, right? Because there's the action and then there's the cutaway, right? With the person in the room all by themselves, and what is it an opportunity to do? To gossip about everybody, every other player, every other person in the house, or everything that's going wrong. That's what it is. It's that gossip. Be honorable. Don't be crude. Don't think about what's crude. And then, think about what is right. And when we hear that word right in Scripture, we need to think, first of all, right relationships. Think about what is good in relationships. Think about what is true in relationships. Think about how you can live honoring those relationships or think about how to be ethical in everything you do. I'm afraid we live in a society that tries to figure out ways to be unethical and, be, and not be caught. How can I get around that law or this statute or this rule and not get caught? We spend a, a whole lot of time thinking about ways to get around it. Ways to cheat, cheat, ways to steal. Paul says, instead of thinking about ways to skirt way, unethically, I want you to spend your time thinking about how to do it right. How to maintain that integrity in your relationship. How to maintain your integrity and relationship with God. Think about what is right and not scheming on how to be unethical. But he keeps going. Think about things that are pure. And when we think about that, we, we first of all think about sexual immorality because that's what Paul usually uses when he talks about this. But here it's broader. It's a broader understanding. It's, a, it's an understanding of Purity versus self-serving interest and motives. Purity of intention versus trying to satiate my own desires and to squeeze life for what it's worth. Have you ever questioned anybody's motives? Well, I think that's a lie, that one of those things that Satan feeds us. He, he causes us to question everybody's motives. And we don't trust anybody. But Paul encourages us to think about 
pure motives. Think about being pure and not give anybody opportunity to question your motives. To not consider your desires, your wants, your needs all the time. Now, God wants us to take care of ourselves. And when he says, think of yourselves as, uh, think of others as more important than yourselves, he's not saying, think of others and forget yourself. He's saying, take care of yourself too, but also honor others. Consider their needs. Don't always spend every opportunity trying to get the most out of the situation. Have purity in your motives as your intention. Then he goes on to a couple more, which are very similar. Lovely and admirable. First, lovely. Think of lovely versus degrading. Lovely as in a beautiful sunset. That's beautiful. That's lovely, isn't it? Artwork. You know, Paul here, actually, he's taken the, these first uh, few terms, are taken right out of the list of Stoic and uh, philosophical virtues that were being praised in the secular society of his day. I think Paul saw value in beauty and goodness even outside because it pointed to God. And I think we can see beauty in all kinds of things. I can tell you on my music list, it's not all Christian. But I can tell you one thing, I don't have any music that's degrading. I love art. We have some beautiful paintings hanging in our, in our, uh, in our house. And when I see them, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the, lovely of Ke- the, the beauty of Quito because we have several paintings that are depicted of Quito, paintings that remind us of our time on our honeymoon at different settings. And when I think and see those, I am, see something that's beautiful and lovely. We don't have anything hanging in our home that degrades anybody, that takes somebody down to a base level. We don't have that. And you know, even the movies that we've chosen to watch, Gabby and I made a, a pact shortly after we got married, even before we had kids, that we just weren't going to go see, pay for R-rated movies. We just weren't. We were going to support the movies that weren't degrading in any way, that were lovely, that had beauty in them. That's what we've tried to do. Go to a museum. Wake up and go to a spot where you can see the sunrise. Go watch the sunset in the mountains. Take time to see the lovely and the beautiful of God's creation and then what we've created that is beautiful and lovely. Take time to see what's beautiful and lovely in each other and think about that instead of how I can use that person for my own personal gain. Guys, how we can see that beautiful girl as God's creation and not as a sexual object. Because once we do that, we degrade them. How can we think about what is lovely? And then what is admirable? Think of this as non-offensive. How can we think and do our life in ways that just aren't constantly offending others? That are building others up? that are just non-offensive. 
Now, we live in a very PC society. We do, and people get offended over things all the time. And, you know, people are offended just because we're Christians. They're offended over our faith, and that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about living in a way that is not demanding, that is not controlling, that is not manipulative, that is not offensive to anyone. But instead, that's admirable. Think about people that you look up to. What makes them admirable? And try to follow their example. When was the last time you read a good book about someone who was admirable? And you're like, I'm inspired to live my life like that person. Or do we spend our time reading Howard Stern's book on how to be offensive in every way? And we think about that. And we live that. Paul says, you want to be able to rejoice? Think about things that are admirable. And then he goes on to kind of sum up this list, and he gives us kind of two umbrella terms. Things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Basically, things that aren't mediocre. (laughs) Things that are good. Things that are done well. Think about you doing things well. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes 9.10 where it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And then we never hear this, the second part of the verse. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it well. Do it right. That honors God. But also think about the things that are done well. If you're in your workplace, how can you improve yourself? Is there a book that's written that that speaks specifically for your field? Have you seen what those who are the best in your field are doing and tried to learn from them? How can you do your job better? How can you do your job better as a parent? When's the last time you spent some time thinking about how, how to be a better parent? Have you read a parenting book lately? Have you talked about parenting strategies with somebody? How much work are you putting into becoming a better spouse? That's the toughest job you're going to have, and it's your most important job. You can't be a really good parent until you're a good spouse. I'm convinced of that. When's the last time you read a marriage book together? When's the last time you went to a marriage conference? When's the last time you sat up, sat down and talked about your marriage? When's the last time you worked toward things that were excellent and praiseworthy in your marriage? How do you do this? You got to take your thoughts captive. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? It's it's a military term. Where you go and you ambush and you secure them and you hold them and they're not getting away. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, says we live this Christian life by taking every thought captive and to make it obedient to Christ. I can't help what I think. 
You can't help maybe what pops into your head, but you can help what you think about that thought. When was the last time you captivated your thoughts, your thought life? When's the last time you actually held your thought life in check and put boundaries up around it? When's the last time you said, no, I'm not going to go there? I know where this goes if I keep thinking this, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going there. The question is, what are you thinking? Or maybe it's this. What's influencing your thinking? Rick Warren, uh, many of you know who he is. He's a pastor of Saddleback Church in California, the author of uh, Purpose Driven Life. Many of you have read that. Uh, great pastor. Uh, he helps us here and says there's kind of four sources of our thoughts for a Christian. And this, this isn't exhaustive, but it's pretty general, but I think it includes a lot. First of it, one is poison. You know what poison is? For guys, it's pornography. Maybe it's just lyrics to songs. It's movies. It is novels, books. It's the things that take our mind away from God. It's the things that do the exact opposite of the list we just talked about. It's TV. If you live to be 65, and how many of you are 65 or older? You will watch nine years of TV in today's world. Nine years of TV. How much of that nine years was spent watching Poison? It may mean you have to make some tough choices. It may mean you have to decide in advance what you are and what you aren't going to watch. It may mean that your six-year-old comes into the room and says, Dad, we don't need to be watching that. And you're reminded, if my six-year-old, it's not good for my six-year-old, maybe it's not good for me. But there's also just stuff. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just stuff. It's lazy thinking stuff. It's fluff. You know, honestly, I think a lot of sports is this. It's just stuff. We, we think it's the end of the world, but it's not. It's just stuff. We spend a lot of our time thinking about stuff. Actually, when I think about sports, it's sports radio. Uh, you know how many sports radio stations there are who talk about sports all the time? How many people get paid to analyze what 18 to 22-year-olds did yesterday in three hours? It's just stuff, and that's what we think about, stuff. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't really make us worse. It just is stuff, but I think we stuff ourselves so full of stuff that we don't let our minds think about good stuff like food. And I'm not talking about what's coming to eat. I'm talking about good old-fashioned brain food, stuff that makes you think. Many of us are just lazy thinkers. We don't want to be challenged because it's hard to think sometimes. When's the last time you read an article that you didn't agree with? 
You knew reading it you were going to disagree with it. But you didn't just throw it off because the title or the author. You said, I'm going to read this and I want to, I want to debate with this person. I want to think about I want to understand why I don't agree with it. I want to exercise my mind. I want to give it food. When was the last time we went and entered into a discussion with someone we didn't agree with politically without bashing them? Instead of just trying to understand where they're coming from. You know, I know wonderful people who are on both sides of the political aisle. Absolutely godly people. I know them and I admire them. And one thing I admire about them is they're able to discuss these things in intelligent ways. That's not about, oh, you're wrong. Well, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Well, that's a lie. No, that's a lie. If anybody's watched uh, any of the, the politics lately, that's what it goes back and forth. We never debate real things. We just bash the other. What's some good food that you can eat? You know, there's some movies that are good food that aren't stuff that make your mind think and and devour it, they really are. Get yourself some good brain food. And one of the best brain foods there is, is this. It's God's Word. There's a reason why I've asked you about your plan for two years now. What is it? How much time are you spending with your mind thinking about God's Word? How often do you think about God's Word? We read in Isaiah 26 as we began the service, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. How much of your time in your day is spent thinking about God? Thinking on his scriptures, meditating on them, memorizing. That's why I love what the kids do, the teens do with, with Bible quizzing. They're memorizing whole chunks of the Bible. Matthew chapter, through chapter 6, chapter 7, 7 yet, Caroline? Through chapter through 8, going into 9. How many of us actually have read Matthew 1 through 9, much less memorized it? How can a young man or young woman keep their way pure? By hiding the word of God in their heart that they may not sin against God. Are you thinking about God? today? Are you thinking about his word? Where do we start this? It has to start with this prayer. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Many of you have issues with your thought life. And you're never going to really address it till you allow God to address it. And you allow God the permission, you give him permission to, to peek inside your head and to say, okay, that's what's in there. I don't like what you're thinking there. Let's, get, let's stop that. I don't like how you're thinking about that. Let's, let's, let's stop thinking about that. Pray this prayer. And some of you need to pray it every day, and some of you need to pray it hourly. Because there are so many of us who are just consumed with bad thinking. And we just need to say that prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
Point out anything in me, in my mind, in my thought life that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I like the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't get squeezed into the way the world thinks, the way the, way the world does. But instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God change your way of thinking today. One of the things that the church has done well for years, and that moth is driving me crazy. One thing the church has really done for years is given us things to think about. And I think Jesus knew that when he gathered with his disciples in that, in that upper room that day. And he took the bread, the bread that symbolized the Passover meal. You know about that story. And he says, we've always remembered and thought about on this night, that Passover. But from here on out, I want you to think about and remember my body that's going to be broken for you. So every time you take this bread, think about what I've gone through to give you this relationship. Think about it. Fix your mind on Christ's body who was broken for you today. Fix your thoughts. Dwell on his sacrifice on the cross for you. This was God, who is the very nature of God, but who didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped or exploited, but emptied himself of that power and became obedient to the cross. Think about that. And then he took the cup, which symbolized a lot of different things in that Passover meal. But he says, now every time you drink this cup, I want you to remember my blood that's going to be spilled. And what that blood is going to do for you. It's going to forgive, give you the ability to have your sins forgiven. It's going to give you the ability to be in right relationship with God the Father once again. It's going to give you the ability to have the Holy Spirit living and active in your life. That blood is going to change you. Think about that. And then he reminded him, as often as you take this bread, as often as you take this cup, remember me. Think about me. So in the next few moments, we're going to do some thinking. We're going to do some remembering. I'm going to ask those who are going to help serve to come. And there'll be people at each end of the, the altar here. And you'll be able to take a wafer, symbolizing his body. And if you want to break it, you can. That's symbolic for some people. And then dip that into the, the cup, symbolizing his blood. And then I want you to think about it. Don't rush through this. As you're in line, don't talk about the game. Don't talk about what you're doing for lunch. I want you to think about him. Think about his sacrifice for you. Remember him today. I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Lord, we are so grateful for 
this opportunity to remember you. And Lord, I pray that as we think about you today, as we think about your, your sacrifice for us, that we also think about the possibilities that your sacrifice gives us of a new life, a new creation, of an eternal life in heaven with you one day, of the Spirit bringing comfort in our lives. Lord, help us to spend these next few moments thinking exclusively on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.